Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit 
and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we touch on that passage, I do want to remind you that even though it's the third, it's the start of the, start of the third week of Advent, we do have, of Lent rather, I'm sorry, the third week of Lent, we do have a Lenten devotional guide to help you personally. And if you're in a small group and you'd like to reflect on the themes that we've been covering on Sundays, you can pick one of these up. And you can find them out here on the literature rack just across from the front desk. But you can also go to our webpage and you will see this image. And if you click it, it's going to open up for you an electronic version of this resource. And I do want to encourage you uh, to use that. The other thing I want to point out to you is the insert in your bulletin. There are two inserts there. One of them has a sort of a brief summary of the folks who have uh, joined our congregation. And the other insert has information about various activities at the church. I want to draw your attention, though, to what I call an opportunity for hands-on ministry. An opportunity for hands-on ministry. 
So, Pastor Ray, how can I use and respond to God's call? We heard Bridget referencing how God nudged her and her family to respond in a practical, tangible way. And one of the ways you can do that, if you would like to, is to sign up for equipping and training to be a Stephen minister. And you have the names of the people in here you can call and a little bit of an update, information about what's involved. So why are we doing this? We are encouraging you to engage. And if there's nothing here for you to do that you see that you're interested in, you can look in the back of that, that uh, devotional, um, Lenten devotional, and there is just a wonderful list of opportunities whereby you or members of your small group can engage in various ministries. So I encourage you uh, to do that. I thank God for the reading of Scripture, a very creative way to do it. It adds a, an element of power to the reading. Several years ago, and this is several years ago, Judith and I, my wife and I, made a commitment to do our best to read through the Bible at least every 12 to 16 months. And I have to tell you, after many, many years, it's one of the best decisions we've ever made, and we've made all kinds of decisions but by far, this is one of the best decisions we've ever made. And let me tell you why I say that. And there are many reasons. I'll just give you a few. One is we wanted to strengthen our union. We wanted to strengthen our oneness as husband and wife. And we share many things in common. But it dawned on us years ago that the one area of our lives that we were not sharing together was spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy intimacy with God, and doing it together. And so together, we fumbled our way through reading the Bible and praying together. But another reason why we wanted to do it, we, we both love God. We know that God loves us, and you know that God loves you. But, but often, as that passage says, you didn't first love me, I first loved you. And so that the response on our part now is to learn what it means to love God. And so we were reading the Bible, not so much to get facts, but we wanted to know and love God through the Bible. And there's a big difference there. And maybe the biggest reason of all that we're reading the Bible is that we wanted to bring the Bible home to our lives. And at that time, we were younger people, young parents, young in our marriage, and we wanted to see how Scripture could help us. And so we read the Bible to know God. We read the Bible to have a deeper understanding of ourselves, but to discover what I call the realism in the Bible. And I know for some of us, we say the Bible is irrelevant, and I beg to differ. There is a realism to Scripture. The Bible speaks to the real issues of life, the concrete issues of life. And I think this morning's reading, it doesn't get any more real than that. I call this text before us the, a Lake Michigan type of story because it is so big. It is so deep. It is so wide. It touches many states, areas of life. It overflows and overflows with insights and life-changing truths. And we could easily spend several weeks just on John 4, and here I have the audacity in the next 15 minutes or so 
to give us a quick overview, but then sort of isolate one big, real element in the text. For example, let me just quickly run through with you the things that jump at me when I read this story and as I see it. And, and, and I think it's good that we saw the video because you saw Jesus who is the Son of God and yet you saw the humanity of Jesus. He was tired. He's tired. The sun is hot and he sits at that well. It's, it's about noon in the day. The sun is in the middle of the sky. It's hot. You see the humanity of Jesus. And we could say so much about that. But we also see something that is just as real then, it's real today. This ethnic sort of racial conflict could be on racial terms, on religious terms. It's all bundled together between Jews and their Jewish Samaritan cousins. And when Jesus asked for a drink, you saw the, the shock and the skepticism on the woman's face. And she said, how is it that you, a Jew, is asking me for a drink, a woman of Samaria, because the Jews and the Samaritans have nothing in common. The Bible has something to say about this issue of, 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 of ethnic and religious and racial conflict. The Bible also has something to say about the deepest needs that we have. We are a needy people, brothers and sisters, and it's not always evident on the outside, but deep inside of us are these deep fissures of need. And Jesus saw that this woman was hungry and she was thirsty. She was coming for water, but there was a deeper thirst within her. And Jesus said, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask him to give you this water of life that springs up to eternal life. But there's also the reality of marriage. You, you heard this reference to marriage and living with someone outside of the boundaries of marriage. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. And then Jesus kind of put everything on the table. You're right. You've had five husbands. The one you're with is not your husband. What you've said is true. And when Jesus sort of exposed her need and what was happening in her life, she said, you have to be a prophet. This is a very important section in the story. She's had five marriages. It's possible that all five of her husbands died. And when that happens in that culture, that woman is alone and widowed. It's possible that all five of those marriages ended in divorce. And when that happens, the woman still comes out on the short end. She's rejected five times. And nobody would want a woman like that in that culture. She's currently living with a, a man outside the legal boundaries of marriage. Some commentators immediately put that red A on her forehead and consider her an immoral woman. Other commentators recognize her desperation. Vulnerable woman, married five times, under whatever circumstances, nobody's there to protect, nobody's there to support, and she settles for the best that she can find. Jesus called attention to what was going on in her life. You notice in the text, he doesn't condemn her. 
And I'm telling you, I need help with that. Sometimes I'm very good at pointing out people's problems and be condemning about it. I'll admit that. But Jesus calls attention to her situation. He doesn't condemn her. In fact, what he does, he opens up the conversation in such a way that he can invite her to a new way of thinking and living. The other thing I notice here is the, these, this conflict about worship. So real, so real today. How do we worship? Where do we worship? Samaritans believe that they should worship on Mount Gerizim. That's where true worship should happen. Jewish people say, no, it's on Mount Zion. It's in Jerusalem. And so this conversation goes back and forth, and Jesus finally reminds her, listen, listen to me. It's not on this mountain. It's not on that mountain. God is seeking worshipers. God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman at that point realizes you're not just some tired guy looking for water. You have to be the Messiah. I detect that you're a prophet. I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus does something that he really does in the, in the New Testament. He tells the person that, yes, I am the Messiah. Often he tells people, don't tell anyone what you just heard or saw. But he tells this woman, I am the Messiah. And then the reaction is something to behold. Because when I read the New Testament, it's very rare that you have women who go running with this powerful message of hope and, telling it, and tell it to others. And as I read the New Testament, this lady, we don't even know her name. Isn't that something? The woman at the well is all we know about her. And Mary Magdalene at the resurrection are just two of the female examples that I know of who are faithful, powerful evangelists who go out and tell the message to others. The woman left the water jar, and you saw her. She went running back to the city, and she told the people, come see a man. Isn't that a simple, clear, powerful message? Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He's the Messiah. And they left the city and were on their way because of what the woman said. The other thing I notice is Jesus' priority. This, is, this verse is actually one of my favorite moments in the story. The disciples come back. They're offering him food, and he says, guys, I am full. I don't need any more food. Oh, did somebody bring you food? No. He said, my food, listen to this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Listen, I hope your life gets captivated by that thought that you can actually live your life for a grander, greater, deeper, all-consuming purpose. Jesus said, I just want to do God's will. That's all I'm about. And I love also the words of Jesus when he tells the disciples, guys, you need to look. You need to... You need to adjust your gaze. Look around you. The fields are ripe for harvesting. And my all-time favorite part of the story, of course, is the impact of the woman's story. And we heard Bridget's story. And our stories are so powerful. She said, he told me everything I've ever done. And so when the Samaritans then left the town and followed the woman and came to Jesus, 
they wanted Jesus to stay with them, with them for two days. And at the end of those two days, this is what they said. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Isn't that something? The power of your story, my story. You know, when our three children were born, of course, they were born at different times. They were born on different days, different years. They were born in different states. Two were born in Indiana. One was born in North Carolina. But you know, there was one thing, and I was there. I witnessed it. There was one thing that all three of my children did. They cried. They came out of mommy's womb, and they cried, and Judith cried, and I cried. The cry of a newborn is a sign of life. The cry of a child is evidence to the doctors and the nurses that air is getting into the child's lungs and the child is breathing. And I think in a spiritual way, it's also true that when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl is born again, the first thing that any Christian should desire to hear is the cry of new life, evidence that the breath of God has now come into that person. And this is why, this is why the Scriptures speak in many places about the need for a public confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Some believers, and there was a time in my life when I, I could, if we had time, I'd tell you that story. Some believers think they can be secret believers, but the Scripture never considers this a possibility. For example, look at what it says in Matthew 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Here's another one. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, with, for the one who believes with the heart is justified the one who confesses with the mouth is saved. There is something about your story, your words, your experience coming out of your mouth to, the, to another person. And the woman at, that, that, at Jacob's well is a model for those of us who are seeking to engage and serve Jesus with our head and our heart and our hands. She was doing all three. I want you to think of it this way. Think of the three C's. The three C's that we see in this precious woman who encountered Jesus and ran and shared her story. The first thing you'll notice is that there was a confession of faith. And she did it several ways. She said, I, I, I believe, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then Jesus said to her, I am. You're looking at the Messiah. And when she runs to the city, she said, come see a man who tells me, who told me everything I've ever done, isn't he the Christ, isn't he the one, isn't he the Messiah? You hear her confession of faith, and that is so critical for you and me. But the other thing I love, and I didn't see that until I was reading it again last week, that there was a change in her priorities. And you saw it in the, in the clip. When she encountered Jesus, suddenly what she came to do, why she was doing it, what her tasks were, she kind of left that to the side and something more all-consuming took over her life. She left the water. She went running. Change of priorities. Is that happening in your life? But the other one that's so sweet 
the other C is that she had a concern for those yet to believe. Isn't it interesting when the disciples came back, Jesus had to tell them again, I'm eating a different kind of food, guys. It's to do God's will. And I want you to see what I'm seeing. Open your eyes. And I'm praying right now for our congregation that God would just open our eyes even more so we can develop this concern for those who are yet to believe. See, the woman knew there were thirsty people back in her village. The woman knew now that she had an answer to the thirst that was, that was in her soul, and she wanted to share that with her community. And notice the outcome again. It's worth reading it again. Let me just read it again. Many Samaritans from that village believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because of the woman's testimony, because of the woman's story. He told me everything I've ever done, and many more believe because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that, that, that this is truly the Savior of the world. There's nothing sweeter than that, to tell your story. Share your story, friends. First, friends, share your story, but listen to me. Here's how I want you to do it. Don't share your story because you want people to come and fill this building up. Uh-uh. Don't do that. That's vain. That is, a, that is an inappropriate understanding of what gospel ministry is. You share your story so that the kingdom of God will expand and grow. Because the first thing we want people to do is to know Jesus. And they may not even come to this building, and that's Okay but we want them to, be, to know that they're part of the kingdom of God. And often, though, when you share your story and somebody comes into the kingdom of God, the church will grow. Maybe not this church, maybe the church down the street, but share your story nonetheless. And I would encourage you, share your story here, just like Bridget just did. You're, you're welcome to come and have an opportunity to tell what Jesus is doing in your life. But I also want to encourage you to share your story with your family. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbors. And maybe by the grace of God, you will find yourself in a coffee shop. You'll find yourself in a restaurant. You'll find yourself standing next to a person in a line. And you get the prompt, let me tell this person what's going on in my life. The feels are ripe, the workers, the hands are few. Last week I told you that God has called you to be a healer, and I want you to know today that God is calling you to tell your story. Shout it out from the rooftop what Jesus has done. Run, text it, blog about it, write books about it, but don't keep it inside. Tell your story. Amen? Amen. Amen. I pray that God will help us to do that.